All right, guys, we're just eight weeks away from the start of the 2023 season. Today, we're going to continue our divisional preview series with a deep dive of the NFC South. Let's dig in. Hello and welcome to Move Line. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here as always by my friends to talk football. Uh, Connor Allen, Sharp Clark. Uh, I'll start with you, Clark. How are we doing, buddy? I know you're uh, excited to uh, unpack some of these teams. These are some of your earlier bets in the uh, in the offseason, so I'm excited to get some of your breakdowns that folks have not heard these yet. They're uh, they're going to be solid. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about this division. Um, and and you know, I, like I did so much work early in the offseason that things have really slowed down for me, which feels weird because it's picking up for everyone else. But but it's nice to like revisit teams that I thought about months ago and and kind of reevaluate where I am with some of these. Connor Allen as well. How are we doing, bud? Good. Uh, pumped. We've gotten down on a bunch of different season long props now. Uh, you know, over in our Discord, Clark has fired off a bunch of futures. Uh, I mean, I just keep adding more and more and like, there's so many good looks. It's, it's hard not to like put too much of my bankroll in there. So excited to talk about the show though. Got a couple of, uh, long shot props, a couple of interesting props, uh, for this one on each team. A interesting division, a wide range of outcomes uh, for a number of these teams. And, uh, yeah, excited to, uh, to unpack that again. If you are hanging out with us on YouTube, subscribe to the channel like the show, all those things go a long way, helping us support the free stuff that we do here, a podcast form, subscribe, rate, review, all those things as well. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're going to continue to pump out content here on Move the Line every week with the Divisional Series. And if you subscribe to the YouTube page, 4 for 4 Bets, uh, you're going to find a lot of other unique content as well. Great time to scoop up our betting subscription at 4 for 4 You want access to all these picks that Connor's talking about? Um, I have two season-long tackle props written up in the hopper, ready to push through uh, after this show for our subscribers. Those just came out over on DraftKings. Connor's been pumping out a bunch of stuff as well in the season-long prop market. As you mentioned, a very extensive uh, menu from uh, Clark as well there in the, uh, the future market. Clark has a preview up on the site uh, for the NFC South. Mine just went up this morning as well, so you want to get our written thoughts on these divisions uh, and the bets to make with them. You can find that over on 444.com as well. Again, Anything you need football-wise, the betting sub gets you access to. Um, if you somehow have, you're in the state where you don't have access to, uh, or you haven't got MGM yet, you have access, you haven't taken advantage, um, you can look in the show notes here. You can get access to a betting sub for just $10 with a deposit over at BetMGM. Um, great book for betting golf if you happen to do so, and some of the best bets that we have here for today are also on BetMGM too, so check the show notes for that as well. All right, guys, uh, NFC South is uh, its interesting. Are you seeing some of the strength of schedule stuff here? Um, again, they're playing the AFC South, very easy division, and the NFC North. Uh, and then when they're rotating through the NFC East, AFC East, and NFC West for their unique three opponents, those are dispersed very differently, and that kind of plays itself out here in the way this division lays out. Uh, we'll start with the Saints here to get started here. They are... The favorites, they are 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Very different than some of the numbers we were looking at last week in the NFC East and some of the teams that are uh, baked in there. To win the NFC, the Saints are available on FanDuel at 17 to 1. They are plus 135 on FanDuel to win the division. It's the best number there. And their win total is nine and a half, juice to the under. It's got some early action there, Clark, and I'll let you get started with the Saints. Yeah, like every team in this division, we're seeing a new starting quarterback from the starting quarterback this team started with last year. The only team that even has the same quarterback is Desmond Ritter, and he only played four games last year. So we're going to talk a lot about the quarterbacks. And the thing about Derek Carr is 
he has been someone who can move the ball between the 20s. He can make big plays. He's a smart player. But he has struggled in the red zone. When the t- when the spaces get tight, he hasn't had any sort of go-to, you know, targets that he loves. They haven't had a strong running game. They haven't had creativity in the red zone. Um, and so I think how he meshes with the Saints offense is going to be a big question. I came in the season optimistic, or I came to the offseason optimistic on the Saints offense because I liked what I saw last year with Andy Dalton, and I think Carr is an upgrade. But let me talk specifically about that issue. Over the last four years, the Raiders have had a better overall offense than the Saints, including those last two years with Drew Brees. The Raiders have had a higher overall offensive EPA per play. They've had a higher rate of third down conversions, which is typically a quarterback stat. But despite that, they've they've had a full 10% lower in red zone conversion rate. The Saints are at 61.6 and the Raiders are at 51.8. So that has been holding the Raiders back with Derek Carr. And I'm optimistic because what the Saints have in the red zone is optionality. Taysom Hill gives them some creative packages they can use. Alvin Kamara can be used in a variety of ways. They run some wildcat with Kamara, assuming he doesn't get suspended for too long. Um, And I do also think they have a better tight end in the red zone in Juwan Johnson, who uh, in his career has had 11 touchdowns and 706 yards, which compares to Darren Waller's 19 touchdowns on 3,500 yards. So in terms of like what role Juwan Johnson plays, it's more of that traditional tight end in the red zone kind of guy. So I think there's optimism here that Carr can get over those struggles, not because Carr will be better in the red zone, but because the offense is just in a better shape to convert in the red zone. So I'm optimistic the Saints offense can improve. Um, it's the defense I'm worried about. Um, and, and they lost some, a lot of players. Um, and so I think we'll see some decline there that might offset the, the offensive upside. So kind of mixed feelings on the team, but overall optimistic, especially because offense matters so much. They'd be a team I would love to fade, Connor, if we had any sort of uh... – just the, the schedule is so light. The division is wide open. Um, I think that there is an upgrade here moving over to Derek Carr, even with the, some of the red zone things that uh, Clark laid out there. Because again, you know, moving up from an Andy Dalton led squad, a, a Jameis Winston led squad, there's definitely some room to improve. And you know, Carr's kind of made lemonade out of lemons behind a pretty poor offensive line for the majority of his time with the Raiders. This is not a great Saints offensive line, but like we know that Carr's going to get the ball out quickly. That's what he does. Um, his average depth of target was significantly higher last year. Adjusted completion percentage came down. Those things correlate pretty well. That's probably scheme more so than anything, like in terms of what we can expect for Derek Carr moving forward. But yeah, lots of question marks. He highlighted the Alvin Kamara thing a little bit. And then we obviously have the Michael Thomas piece too. Yeah, we have their offensive line ranked 20th. And I think there's a couple of different paths for this team to honestly either succeed or fail. And it's a team that I, I just am waiting and seeing on like until we get to the season because the offensive line is, is, I think, a big deal. If they end up overperforming, uh, I think this team could be really interesting with Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, you mentioned Juwan Johnson. Like, If all of those guys are healthy, I think this offense could be you know, fringe top 10, be very interesting on a week-to-week basis. Now, the, the flip side is also true. If the offensive line isn't that good, if Alvin Kamara is suspended, if Michael Thomas doesn't come back, then you're looking at an offense that's what Chris Lave and maybe Rashid Shahid, you know, like I think Shahid is actually pretty underrated, but in the same sense, like it's definitely not a lock and Derek Carr has been extremely volatile. I mean, there was a couple of years ago where he was a borderline MVP candidate for half the season. And then he's been, you know, turning the 14 interceptions in consecutive years. Like it's really a guy that I have a, a hard time putting a lot of faith in. And then defensively Clark mentioned it there. They lost, uh, I believe it was Marcus Davenport, David on Yamada and shy Tuttle on the interior of the defensive line. Now they tried to replace those guys though. So they did, I think actually like they, they saw it as a clear weakness without that because they added Nathan Shepard, Kalen Saunders, and then drafted Brian 
is it Brise, Breezy? I don't know, one of the two, uh, to try and kind of fill that gap. But I think that's that just doesn't always happen right away, like in the same sense of like what they have. So I think there are some defensive questions here, but you guys hit it on the head with, can we trust any other team in this division to be that much better? I think Clark's answer is a clear yes uh, in some sense, but I'm not quite as sold on some other teams. So for me, it's just a stay away here on the Saints. I think Dennis Allen's one of these guys that we touched on a little bit with Dan Quinn last week with the Cowboys, where he's probably just a better defensive coordinator than a head coach and an in-game coach. Um, I think that they make some head-scratching in-game decisions on the offensive side in terms of fourth-down decisions. They, but they, you know, really exceeded expectations. I think, especially considering all the injuries that they had defensively last season. I think Dennis Allen deserves some credit for that, and he's done that historically while he's been there. You know, but again, this is maybe a guy that if he's he's just a good number two, and that's that's okay in life for some guys to just be really good number twos. Uh, so you know, I think that's kind of that caps a little bit of their upside to me as well. Like again, now they were sixth in past DVOA last year. They didn't get much out of Marshawn Lattimore. He played seven games overall. The rest of the talent and, and the cornerback positions not very strong. They don't have a great pass rush. Um, they were I think twenty third in. Um, adjusted sack rate last year. It's just not a strength of theirs. Uh, 29th, I'm sorry. They, they really struggled to get pass rush. Um, but still, to be sixth in pass DVOA, that feels unsustainable. So they're going to need, I think, a little bit more pass rush from some of those guys that you mentioned. The Alvin Kamara piece is interesting because we have a combination of a guy who's maybe okay, just not built to sustain maybe some of the workload that he's had, and that's maybe started to come to roost a little bit on top of likely a four game to maybe six to eight game suspension. We're still kind of flying blind there a little bit. They did a good job at addressing the running back room this offseason, saying, Hey, you know, this is going to be a problem. Jamal Williams, there's a touchdown regression there, but he's a pretty good early down back. Kendrick Miller can be maybe a poor man's Alvin Kamara on passing downs. Again, that's a stretch. Kamara is like a historical outlier in terms of efficiency as a receiver. Um, but again, like there's, more questions than answers, but they're in here at nine and a half wins. Uh, they're in at, uh, you know, plus 135 to win the division. That's a tough, tough price. Again, they just are playing basically a majority of what you would consider to be the bottom rung teams in this league. Poor quarterbacks slash rookie quarterbacks. They play they play almost all of them. Um, so it's just a very difficult situation where, yeah, there's so many questions but they are basically set to to run off a really easy start on the schedule. So how do we bet the Saints, Clark? Well, <clears throat> I've talked a little bit before about how I'm not a big fan of player-level team evaluations. And I think this offense is a really good example of what I mean by that. Because if you look at the individual pieces, you're not going to be blown away by the talent or you know the production of the players on the, on the team. But their offense is filled with role players, right? We talked about Rashid Shahid. He's a field stretcher with serious speed that can really open up things on offense. You know, Juwan Johnson, we talked about as good, big target in the red zone. We Taysom Hill steps in in multiple roles. Alvin Kamara isn't maybe an every down back at this point in his career, but like you said, we brought in Jamal Williams, who's a great short yardage back. All these guys are going to play their role well, and I think Derek Carr is good at orchestrating that. So I'm overall bullish on this team. I think getting plus 135 on the division is a fine bet if you if you don't really believe in the Falcons or the Panthers or the Bucks, but I'm not sure most people do. Um, so I think if anything, I would lean bullish, and I think leaning towards that division price is good because I think this team has a much much higher floor than any other team in the division. Like they're they're primed to be good. Uh, they may have a lower ceiling too because I, I you know I don't see an avenue to be great. 
But against that schedule, winning that division should be the baseline expectation at this point. Um, so I would lean bullish and I would lean division for Saints. Yeah, the path to them being great, Connor, is Michael Thomas from 2019 um, and Alvin Kamara, you know, no suspension, two game suspension, and he's also the same as he was maybe a handful of years ago. It's a stretch for me. So um, I also don't, you know, I also have questions about the Falcons, although I do agree with a lot of the points that Clark's made. Um, an interesting price here that can be, again, you can correlate it. Um, and, you know, if you like the Falcons here, you can get plus 180 on MGM for the Saints to be the second place team in this division. I don't hate that number. Um, I also don't hate the 135, but again, I don't have a lot of conviction in that. I'd rather maybe hedge a little bit and see if someone else can emerge, take the plus 180 for them to be the uh, second place team here in this division. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think I, I'm not really touching like one of the win totals. I did play a little bit of Chris Olave alternate overs, uh, just, you know, kind of for fun, like 1250 plus, I think 1500 plus you can bet on DraftKings as well. It's like 25 to one, something like that. Uh, I just really think that he's, you know, second year wide receiver really played well with I, what I consider to be limited quarterback play, uh, you know, could take another step forward with a guy like Derek Carr potentially. Uh, but I, one note that I want to bring up here potentially for this season. So Sam Lipscomb, I don't know if he's, you know, sub degenerate better, one of the two, maybe both. Uh, brought up that the Saints defense played the most man coverage last season, uh, according to your notes, Noonan here. Uh, and against players who were in the 75th percentile or better in man coverage success rate, according to Matt Harmon's reception perception, they just like exploded. So it's like Justin Jefferson went 10 for 147, AJ Brown, four for 97, Deontay and, and Ayuk both performed above expectation. Jamar, nine for 132, Devonta, nine for 115. I mean, the. Yeah, like these guys just absolutely annihilated the Saints defense. Sam's in the chatter. Sup? Yeah, so I, I I think that's something to look out for this season in the prop market specifically, potentially even on – I mean, that could matter in the size of totals market as well if uh, you think that there's a clear edge in the passing game and they have a good separator uh, against this defense. So just something to note. I thought that was a, a pretty good tidbit there specifically. Yeah, and Lattimore is their guy to do that. Though Lattimore was very much involved and got cooked in the Justin Jefferson game. Lattimore <laughs> only played seven games. One of them was the game, uh, I believe that was a London game, and uh, Jefferson cooked him in, uh, in pretty uh, pretty consistent fashion there. So, again, like Lattimore is a guy that, to me, has just kind of been a little bit historically overrated. You know, he gets into some of those beefs with Mike Evans, and he's like a name at the position, but he's, I don't know, we see these spike games from him. Uh, you know, and in the chat, Max was mentioning he's lost a step. I, I think the numbers kind of bear that out. Now, he's not a, an old guy from like a loss of step standpoint. But I, again, I think just in general, he's a little bit overrated. And he's really important to what they do because they do want to run a lot of man. And to do that successfully, you need to have an anchor corner to shut down or at least feel competent in running heads up against the other team's best receiver. And we saw how that played out with Minnesota. So, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of questions. Again, it's really hard to be bottom three, bottom four in pass rate or in uh, pass pressure and be a top 10 unit in pasty. It just doesn't typically happen. Those two things are, are very in sync typically. And uh, yeah, it just feels like a, something that's not super sticky. Now I want to give Dennis Allen credit, but I have a lot of questions on this team. And again, the schedule is just so, so hard to, to ignore. So yeah, uh, I think that's kind of our touch on the saints. Now we'll make a shift to the Atlanta Falcons uh, Falcons out there. Again, now points a bit hard for some people. You either don't have it or it's hard to get any money down, but I want to outlie, uh, you know, or give the outlier number here. 80 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, 35 to 1 to win the NFC on points for the Falcons. Uh, on Caesars, they are plus 240 to win this division. 
Uh, the eight and a half win total is flat for the most part, juice wise, depending on where you shop. Uh, steamed out a little bit at Caesars, but still pretty much available here. Um, Clark, floor is yours. You have been a uh, a prominent advocate for the Falcons this year. I understand it. You've made me a believer. I still have questions, but I'm going to give you the floor here to kick off the Atlanta Falcons. All right. To contextualize our conversation, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little history lesson here. This is since 2017, every single quarterback who was drafted and then sat from, from most or a big part of their rookie year, and then was named the starter for week one of their second year. So this is quarterbacks who were basically drafted as sort of, you know, you're going to start eventually, but not right away. Uh, we had Jared Goff in 2017. Uh, their win total was five and a half following his 0-7 rookie season in which he had negative 0.316 EPA per play. They went 11-5, and and then they won the Super Bowl the next year. Mahomes, 2018, win total was eight and a half. They went 12-4. and They won the Super Bowl the next year. Uh, Watson, 2018, their win total was 8.5. They went 11-5. and Lamar Jackson, 2019, win total was nine. They went 14-2. and Drew Locke, 2020, their win total was seven and a half. They went five and 11. That was the only one that went under. Jalen Hurts, 2021, six and a half. They went nine and eight. The next year, they lost the Super Bowl. And then Trey Lance, we don't really know what happened with him. So, but the 49ers went over, technically. Um, though that, that's, that's the situation, right? When, when quarterbacks develop for a year on the team that drafted them with the purpose of starting them eventually, which is what the Falcons did with Desmond Ritter, they have a chance to build the offense around who that quarterback is that quarterback gets time without the pressure of having the franchise's expectations on their shoulders to develop. And I think what we're seeing with the Falcons is exactly that. Arthur Smith's offensive game plan is reduce the amount of options the quarterback has to make, you know, give him half the field to work with, roll him out, get him moving, or, you know, have quick decisions over the middle. And Desmond Ritter, um, you know, for all the criticisms of him coming out of college, you know, his draft capital wasn't super high, whatever. I watched his film closely and I really, really liked what I saw. He has really good pocket awareness and pocket movement. He very rarely takes big negative sacks where he just doesn't see the defender. He's constantly making positive plays. And so I think in this offense, this is designed around a strong run game, a strong play action game, rollouts. I think this is perfectly designed for a quarterback like Ritter who has limitations, but also has confidence and mobility and accuracy on the run to succeed. And I think the Falcons did everything they could to boost up the defense in the offseason. They did everything to make the offensive line, you know, strong for his protection. And he's got three really, really good weapons in Bijan Robinson, in Drake London, and Kyle Pitts, none of whom have reached their potential. Obviously, Bijan hasn't. Drake London is entering his second year. We talked about Chris Olave. Second year receivers usually look stronger in their second year. And Kyle Pitts, you know, a very, very high draft capital guy, hasn't reached his potential. And last year in Ritter's four games, Pitts didn't even play. So this is going to be a much, much improved offense that Ritter's coming into with a whole offseason of, you know, practicing and developing. And he's winning over his teammates and new teammates like Calais Campbell had a conversation with Arthur Smith and came away from it thinking, I believe in this team. This is where I want to go in the twilight of my career. I'm a believer, too. I think this uh, this team has a lot of uh, upside. And like with the Saints, they have a really easy schedule. So everything is set for Desmond Ritter to just be if he's good. This team has one of those massive wide uh, range of outcomes to the upside that we've seen time and time again in this situation. Yes, 136 snaps last year for Desmond Ritter. Um, half of them were against the Cardinals in week 17. You know, awful uh, secondary in defense. And the 
other were against the Bucks in the last week where they basically the Bucks had control of that. They sat their starters in the second half of the season. So really, really, really small sample. But first, I trust your work. I trust your ability to watch the tape and to discern those things because um, you've proven to have that ability. I also really do trust Arthur Smith. And like he does deserve credit for what they did last year. And while it might have been like 1950s style football, he was able to evaluate what he had and said, this is how we're going to be competitive. I can't be competitive dropping Marcus Mariota back 40 times and trying to play current NFL-style football. It doesn't set up his defense well because it turned the ball over quickly, three and outs. Defense couldn't handle it either. So it, like, I believe in what he was able to do with Ryan Tannehill as well. He's not a quarterback that we thought was much of anything coming into his time in Tennessee with Arthur Smith. So I believe Arthur Smith deserves some credit. It's a great offensive line. You mentioned all the things of the weapons. Uh, I'm encouraged, Connor. What are your thoughts on uh, on Atlanta? Yeah, we'll start with the offense specifically. So under Desmond Ritter, they were 13th in drive success rate in weeks 15 through 18, sixth in the league in yards per drive uh, during that time span as well. Uh, and we're looking at a pass rate here where it did go up a little bit, but not a ton. So I think people who are talking about them like opening the game up, like that just straight up is not going to happen. Like I think that that's like, that is like to me in my mind a fantasy. I think that there will be a, like we're probably going to see Ritter in like the, 28 to 32 attempt range a game but not probably like the 20 attempt range to where we saw with marcus Mariota. so yeah like they're probably going to pass more but not like they're not going to be like a 35 to 40 attempt game and that's partially because i think i'm not sure that the defense has gotten good enough to the point where they're able to really open it up and we saw that it kind of flesh out in the numbers here because last year they were 29th in epa per play defensively but just 23rd points per game just 15 the touchdowns allowed per game so if you kind of like their whole strategy, like you said, was run the ball, keep the ball out of the opponent's team's hands and run it, do it well, control the clock. And even though your, your defense on a per play basis is not good, you know, you just have few opportunities to get exposed. So that's kind of, that's kind of bared out there. I think specifically now, obviously they added some great interior talent, you know, uh, Calais Campbell, Caden Ellis and linebacker, uh, Jeff Okuda, Jesse Bates safety. Like I think that those guys are good. Um, and they probably will make a difference, but I'm not sure how much of a step. Like, I think that they probably go from, you know, a team that's a bottom five unit to maybe like an average team. That's probably where I'd put them. But I don't know if I'm ready to say that they're going to be like a legit unit quite yet. And so, but I think all that's fine. Like, it's okay because they should be able to run the ball better. They should be better offensively than they were last year, regardless. So if they do need to hide their defense still in some ways, they should be able to more than execute that. So I'm with you, but I think given the current prices and the adjustments on the win total right now, that I think it's probably a stay away for me, but I'd like where you got in. I think it was at seven and a half wins on the over. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. Seven and a half was, was really good. Eight and a half gets a little trickier because we are projecting some upside and into and some uncertainty. And so when that starts to happen at that price, it's, I think you're losing a lot of the value. Um, I will point out one, one thing that impressed me specifically about Desmond Ritter is that you know, his first game was on the road in New Orleans. That's a tough place to play. The defense was really good. He made, he, he had a, he had a bad game, frankly, but it was his first game on the road in New Orleans. And even though he played poorly throughout the game, they were down 21-10 in the fourth quarter. They made it 21-18 and then they got the ball back and he drove all the way down the field and converted a fourth down and five deep in Saints territory. And Drake London fumbled the ball after the catch, after getting the first down, they lost the fumble and they lost the game. So he, he was basically leading a game-winning drive against the Saints defense on the road in his first ever start. 
in his third start, he did lead. He led a 72-yard uh, field goal drive to win the game against Arizona. Like, his poise under pressure for a rookie was just so impressive and just popped off the film that I think that's why people are buying into him and believing in him. So um, I do think... I do think eight and a half is is if it's just over in most places I look. I think that's a little steep to to get involved now. I, I think if you're looking to get involved with the Falcons now, you got to lean towards something with higher odds, something a little bit you know juicier, like the division price, uh, for example. Yeah, I, so I like over three and a half wins in the division. Um, I think that there's two wins on the table easily against the Bucks. Um, yeah, I think you can re- really. Again, we'll get to the Panthers next. But again, like sweeping the Bucks at that point, you need to win two of your four against the Panthers and the uh, and the Saints, and that's plus one hundred on Caesars. So I, I think that that's a, a pretty good way to get access to it. If maybe you missed the better price in terms of the eight and a half or even the seven and a half early. So yeah, I mean, I I'm bullish because I agree. I think that the range of outcomes and everything around Ritter is fairly stable. I don't. I'm with Connor. I'm not ready to say this is a good or even close to an elite defense, but man, like the strides of, of being significantly better. Like Ryan Nielsen comes over from new Orleans. Again, we talked about like the Dennis Allen led defense. Like you think he's going to learn a little bit about that. He brought some saints over with him to implement some of those things, which I think is helpful. Um, they've drafted well, like Troy Anderson um, is a nice linebacker that they drafted uh, early last year. Didn't play much until the end of the season. He and Kay Nellis are a really nice duo. They both have the ability to blitz the passer because they need that. They don't have a real good pass rush still. That's still a problem for me, for them a little bit here. They signed Bud Dupree. Um, they're going to need him to be a little bit more than that. Maybe some of the Bud Dupree that we saw in Pittsburgh, more than the Bud Dupree we saw in Tennessee. Lorenzo Carter needs to kind of step up. They're going to need some stuff from their front seven in particular, because it's still a little bit lacking. Now, Jeff Okuda showed signs last year of being somewhat of a guy that would have, you know, dictated a first round pick overall. Um, again, if they can get he or Mike Hughes to really step up next to AJ Terrell, like this becomes a middle of the pack defense. And I think that's good enough to probably compete to win this division. So again, there are ways to do it. I think I like the win total in the division number the best because it's just I like the juice at plus 100. But again, you can still sell me on them to to win this division plus 240 on Caesars as well as the best number out there. So I'm with Clark overall here. I think that the Falcons are definitely a more interesting team. And again, like they have three teams, three games here. I think they play the Jets, uh, Detroit and Jacksonville. Those are all on the road. They're all like six point dogs in those games. The other 14, they're all right around like two and a half points either way. Those are basically coin flip games on 14 of their 17 games this season. So like there's a path to double digit wins here. If some of these things go well, as we said, so the wide range of outcomes is, is here for the Falcons. So yeah, uh, hopefully you got it down on Clark. If you're a subscriber, you're in the discord, you took advantage of some of that early stuff that Clark put out there seven and a half long gone, but uh, still pretty interesting. Today's show is sponsored by Edge Boost. With Edge Boost, you can double your next bet at any sportsbook for free. They will match your first bet up to $100 and connects directly to your sportsbook. There are no fees, no interest, as long as you pay them back over four weeks. For more information, check out the link in the show notes. Make sure to gamble responsibly. We're with the Panthers. Uh, again, points bet, best number on them to win the Super Bowl. There's some 80s out there. Points bet has 100. They are 40 to one to win the uh, uh, the NFC on DraftKings, four to one to win the division. Win total seven and a half, juiced a little bit to the over here. Again, a lot of change here, turn turnover here, and in a good way. I mean, Baker Mayfield, Matt Rule out. Um, that was not going very well. I think Steve Wilkes did an excellent job. Um, six and five, nearly won this division here. 
did not get the head coaching job. But Frank Wright's a guy that I think a lot of people liked. Seemed to have gone into a shell a little bit last year, Connor, down the stretch with his time in Indy. Um, you know, not necessarily as aggressive on fourth downs. I think he probably knew pretty early that a Matt Ryan-led team was uh, something that he needed to uh, not be overly aggressive with. But I think overall, everyone likes them. And obviously, they went all in. They forego the future a little bit draft-wise. They gave up DJ Moore. They put all their chips on the table, and it's Bryce Young time in Carolina. You know who would look really good in this offense right now? DJ Moore. I mean, because this is my biggest issue with this team right now. So when you look on paper, you're like, oh, they added all these guys. Their offense could be good. They added Bryce Young. So if we go through the numbers here with a guy like Adam Thielen, Adam Thielen has seen his yards per route run decrease in six straight seasons. Straight up cannot separate from man coverage at this point in his career. We saw it early in Minnesota. I mean, that was part of the biggest reason that Kirk Cousins' man and zone splits were so bad is because no one could get open. Now we're looking at opposite or outside of Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. Matt Harmon charted 390 receivers over the last decade of reception perception. DJ Chark, last year finished 370th against man 383rd against zone coverages like literally one of the worst wide receivers in route running history over the last 10 years um i mean now that being said a large majority of his routes are just go routes so it's not like you're getting a ton of separation on that anyways but that's all he is like he's a go route he's he's all can only run goes and so you have those two options which are you know again on paper the guys that like those are the big ticket uh additions there they added jonathan mingo who i've you know stand for but he's certainly far from a finished product he's a little bit raw in a lot of senses and didn't really produce at old miss uh and then terrace terrace marshall who some of his underlying metrics are great and all the dynasty bros are you know super jacked about that but i mean he's done basically nothing to this point in his career so you know i have a hard time thinking that he's going to come in and be a, a stud to help bryce young so all that goes back to an average offensive line specifically here we're looking at like 19th uh if Aquanu takes a step forward i mean they have just like four very average starters otherwise like it just has to be the bryce young show like it has to be bryce young is gonna have to elevate this passing game significantly for it to do anything the running game miles sanders i mean is the o-line good enough to have miles sanders be the same guy he was in philly like he was running behind literally the best offensive line in the league by a lot in the running game uh for most of his career so I don't know. For me, I have a ton of questions about this Panthers team, specifically the offense. So like for me, it's it's going to be a team that I think I'm going to fade early. And I'm interested to see the offense because I have very little faith that they're going to be able to put something together just because it literally just has to be Bryce Young having a like a historic rookie season. Fading early is not going to be hard uh, regardless. I promise if we take a deep look at the schedule. But I think that the Frank Reich and Bryce Young like marriage of minds is interesting, Clark, because you know I think that he will be able to highlight what Bryce Young does really well. He is a quick processor. Uh, his decision-making skills, his anticipation, his accuracy, those are the elite traits. Because again, he is a historical outlier from a height and weight standpoint, right? So, and he doesn't have like this insane, or he hasn't shown it yet, or maybe he hasn't needed to show it at Alabama, this ability to navigate the pockets, um, separate, create space, and, and create passing lanes to kind of mitigate the size thing. We know he's not breaking pocket, and rushing, hopefully, if he is, he's sliding or getting out of bounds uh, so he can survive. They need him on the field for sure. But, like, to Connor's point, he has to be that guy from day one because, you know, even as someone who was bullish on Terrace Marshall, like, man, that's a hard case to be like, oh, yeah, like, this is what we're doing because they, you know, from a pass-catching core, like, they might not be on the Houston-Tennessee level, but they're not far off uh, because I think it's ship is sail for – 
for Adam Thielen for sure. You know, we obviously just got the the great stats for DJ Chark. It's a tough, tough sell offensively for Bryce Young in his first year. Agreed. And regardless of what you think about Bryce Young's career trajectory, like I, I don't have an opinion. You know, I'm not a college scout. Regardless of that, first year quarterbacks, it's it's a really difficult job to transition to the NFL. I'm going to do another history lesson real quick. This is every quarterback since 2015 who was drafted in the top 10 and started for the team day one. Uh, we got Jameis Winston, 6-10, and 10, Marcus Mariota, 3-13, and 13, Carson Wentz, 7-9. He was the best. Sam Darnold, 4-12, and 12, Kyler Murray, 5-10-1, Joe Burrow, 4-11-1, Zach Wilson, 4-13, and 13, Trevor Lawrence, 3-14. and 14. Now, granted, a lot of those teams are picking number one overall by virtue of having the worst record the year before. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And the Panthers traded down, so they're in a little bit of a better spot. But I, I kind of look at the offense and say, are they in a better spot? Like they lost DJ Moore from last year's passing offense that was terrible with, you know, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and PJ Walker. So, you know, Bryce Young's going to have to be better than those three guys in order for this offense to even be any better than it was last year. And their, their passing game was so bad. I want to point out in their seven wins last year, the Carolina Panthers had 280 runs and 152 passes. And they earned 75 rushing first downs and only 49 passing first downs in their seven wins. They were only successful when they could run the ball. And, you know, you can say what you want about, well, they've got a good running attack. They've got Miles Sanders now. Rushing attacks aren't consistent. They're also much easier to stop on defense. You can commit to stopping the run and stop any run game. But it's the passing game that needs to deliver if you're going to take that next step. So the Panthers' win total is set at 7.5, and, and it's juiced over. You're expecting Bryce Young to have a historically good season for a first-year rookie quarterback starting day one. Uh, and that's putting a lot of faith in Frank Reich. It's putting a lot of faith in the defense. It's also giving you know credit to their probably easy schedule, to be fair. But I think it's just a lot to ask historically. And I think if you're bullish on Bryce Young, I think you know uh, offensive rookie of the year might might be a good angle because he might pick it up as the season goes on and end up you know delivering by the end of the year. But I just have a hard time getting bullish on the team as a whole because it's just so much to ask Bryce Young to do with so little weapons to support him, like Connor was pointing out. Um, that I, I just think, I think you're playing against the odds of what's more likely to happen personally. Yeah. I think that's really well said. So defensively, I think defensively, again, there's some massive upside. Um, Jero Evero from Denver, he comes over, he's a defensive coordinator there last year. Denver was, uh, the league leader in adjusted games lost due to injury as a team last year. They, they like sniffed the historical bad injury luck that the Ravens had a couple years ago. They're really bad. Evero still made that a top 10 defense last year. They lost a ton of manpower. And I think Evero was really smart. And I think he made a good decision. Even when he was offered the interim job in Denver, he's like, I'm good. I don't really want to be associated or tied to this. Took a lateral move to go to Carolina, but this is a guy that feels like a ascending talent in the coaching world. Will probably be a head coach sooner than later. Now, He's acquiring a lot of talent. Um, Brian Burns is really, I think, the X factor here because they don't have a lot of pass rush outside of him. He had 13 sacks last year, career high. He really needs to be that alpha and take that next step for them to really be competitive because look, the linebacker group is nice. The secondary is really nice as well. Um, we need to see some health from J.C. Horn and from Jeremy Chin. It's a really nice, like, Safety group too. Von Bell came over from Cincinnati to kind of stabilize that. They have Xavier Woods. They have a really nice back half if those guys can stay on the field, but they need 
JC Horn to kind of be that main, like that Patrick Sertain was a little bit last year where you can kind of put them on an Island, allow them to do some man to man stuff. Um, I'm encouraged, but again, there's just still a lot of ifs here for this to happen. Like JC Henderson is the guy they brought in in the trade last season from Jacksonville. Another guy that was a top 10 corner pick just a couple of years ago. So they need these guys to stay on the field, start to produce to even kind of keep Bryce young in these games. So again, just a lot more questions. The interesting thing here is like, Again, like I think the tank thing late in the season is maybe a little bit overblown, but like they don't have their first round pick. So like there's no mailing it in here towards the end of the season. Like they need to finish strong and they need to, especially because the start of the season, if you look at the schedule here, um, they have some of their tough games are early. They aren't favored in a game until week eight against the Texans. They have trips to Seattle, Detroit, and Miami all in the first six weeks of the season. So Really tough start out the gates. It's, I think, week eight in Houston, week nine in Indy. The only games right now that they are favored in, and even those are probably coin tosses. So, like, this is a tough, tough stretch. I'm kind of I'm kind of there. I agree with the seven and a half being a really high threshold. Some of the historical stuff that you laid out, Clark, I think leads me to being under there as, as well. Because I'm also so bearish on the next team that we haven't talked to, I do think that there is at least a little bit of a floor in this division for the Panthers. Because I think the Bucs, uh, maybe they're, I think, worse of them than maybe you do. Third place in this division is up plus 180 at BetMGM for the Panthers. I just I don't necessarily see them taking a step into that Saints and Falcons range. And I think that they are better than the Bucs. So I like getting plus 180 on MGM for them to come in third. I I see uh, Panthers alt under five and a half wins plus 280. Under six and a half wins is plus 160. I think both of those are really good looks because – I, I don't know. I mean, you talked about the the secondary being like potentially a strength. And while I do think they have some good pieces, obviously with JC Horn, their safety plays really good. Their second corner right now, we're looking at being like Dante Jackson and then uh the should be JC Henderson. Yeah. Should be JC Henderson. All right, okay. Yeah. And, and and then um what's his name? The uh Chin, I mean, was like a bottom five slot corner last year, uh, according to PFF's number. So you know, I don't know. I think that there's obviously more context needed beyond that, but like, I don't think it's a lock that this defense is, you know, really good. Uh, it seems like they have a lot of good pieces, but it's just a matter of whether the ancillary guys can step up or if they're just going to be, you know, average, which I think could be a pretty big detriment to this team. Yeah. Chin's going to, I think Chin's going to be with the addition of Von Bell, the way that they'll use Chin, I think will be almost like a, in a Derwin James type role. They'll use him in the box a lot. Um, he's a good pass rusher and he's an elite tackler for a safety. So I'm excited about how they're going to use Chin because um, I think that there's talent there. If you're just kind of putting him as a slot corner, it's probably not the best use for him for sure. We saw that. Good job with the numbers there too. But yeah, I think Chin's interesting. And I think that's where the Von Bell piece comes in and puts people in their spot. But yeah, I agree. Like second corner, like JC Anderson played pretty well down the stretch last year. He's gonna have to do that again for sure. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that just makes me want to just take Bryce Young's like passing under on the season. Like, I mean, if we think about it, who's he going to throw to? Their defense is probably going to be solid, which is going to result in less passing. Frank Reich is probably going to want to run the ball a ton. Sam mentioned big year for Miles Sanders. I mean, maybe, probably. He'll probably see a ton of work. Uh, I don't know. I, I got to look at the numbers on that specifically, but definitely, uh, you know, has me has the juices flowing there for me. Yeah. Clark, you lean under on the win total was kind of your lean. Yeah, I, I mean, I painted a pessimistic picture, I know, but I'm not betting it. Um, I, I don't like betting into uncertainty, and and there's a chance that Bryce Young is really good and that this defense could be, you know, top five, top ten. Like, they've got talent, they've got the coordinator, they've got the schedule. So 
I, I think I'm implicitly fading the Panthers by being more bullish on the other teams in the division, but um, I wouldn't want my money on it uh, directly. All right, next, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, let's see what our prices are on the Bucs. 150 to win the Super Bowl on MGM, 75 to win the division or the conference, I'm sorry, on points bets. The division, 8-1 to one on Caesars. And a win total at 6.5 is juiced a little bit to the under. Transition year, obviously, going from uh, the Tampa Bay era. Um, no one wanted to win this division last year. The Bucs did. Uh, at the end, uh, eight nine record to win this division, and uh, their gift is a first place schedule on a Baker Mayfield led team. It looks like it could be Kyle Trask involved. All signs point to Baker, who was really, really, really bad last year. If you thought like, hey, he went to LA and finished exciting, you know, some exciting finishes there, it still wasn't good. Uh, last season, there were forty six quarterbacks that took at least one hundred and twenty five snaps. Uh, Mayfield ranked dead last in completion percentage over expectation. He was 45th out of 46 in success rate, 43rd in EPA per play. The only guys he was better than Colt McCoy, Sam Ellinger, and Skylar Thompson. It is not pretty. Offensive line has a lot of question marks. The defense is paper thin, and the schedule is brutal. Um, comparison to their division mates here, who we've talked about having such an easy path, the unique three for the Buccaneers are week three. Against the Eagles, they are seven-point dogs. That should be probably higher. We could have had that in our uh, look-ahead bets. Week 8 at Buffalo and Week 11 at San Francisco. So they are touchdown or more dogs in all of their unique three contests. That is really tough. Um, I'm going to go with you, Connor. I'll let you get started here and talk about the Bucks. Yeah, the more that I dug into this team, the more that I realized how much the difference like this offense is going to look specifically with Brady. So last year, the Bucks' offensive line was only eighth in pressure rate allowed, but that was because Tom Brady led the league at 2.3 seconds in time to throw in terms of how quickly he was getting the ball out. Now they also lost uh, Shaq Mason, Donovan Smith. They have first-time OC Dave Canales, at, at, at an offensive coordinator there with the defensive coordinator at head coach, which we've talked about before in this show, could potentially matter if you run into trouble. Um, and then other than that, like the offensive line as it currently stands right now, it's just, there's a lot of question mark. I mean, it's Tristan, Tristan Wirfs, the left tackle, but like the other guys are just really, really rough for the most part. Like, I think it's Mike Clay has them at like 30th, um, you know, PFF has them, you know, middle of the road back half. Um, Justin Edwards actually has them a lot higher, but I think it just depends on how much you value that one piece being like truly strong. Um, and so that's where I worry about this team with a guy like Baker, who we've talked about a little bit before, but he he needs a lot of good surroundings. He needs an offensive line, even with good weapons. He's not a guy who's able to read a defense and get the ball out quickly because he knows there's a pressure coming from one side. Um, I don't know. I, I For me, this team has a super low floor offensively. The defense, I think, is going to be like okay. I don't know. I think the more that I looked into them, I think that they would be fine uh, just because of the their numbers last year. Um, their run defense is relatively strong. I mean, they didn't lose too much, but for me, I think this team here, and we'll talk about it later, but the worst record, I think that they could be flirting with, honestly, if the offense is as bad as I think it is, because I Baker Mayfield on a bad offensive line with, you know, Rashad white and Keyshawn Vaughn and chase Edmonds as the running game. I mean, I don't know if any wide receivers or Dave Canales or any offensive coordinator can kind of scheme them out of that one. Yeah, this stark contrast between both like pressure to sack conversion and time to throw between Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield is they're literally the complete opposite. Um, Baker holds the ball longer, and most pressures convert to sacks. 
Tom Brady gets it out quick. And even when he gets pressured, uh, that's a pretty low sack conversion rate. And a lot of that Brady just, especially the last couple of years, giving himself up. They did not want to take a hit, just would roll over. So um, even that is like, baked in and still is not good. Uh, Clark, I'll let you get started. I could talk shit about the Bucks all day. Okay. I, I view this completely differently uh, through a completely different lens. So I think when you're talking about time to throw and saying, well, you know, like Baker Mayfield takes longer to throw and therefore he's going to get sacked more often than Brady did last year. I think that's, that's valid. But I think that the style of offense the Bucks were running last year actually has a very negative impact on the way the entire offense functions. The, w- when your passes are getting out that quickly on every play to avoid getting hit, you're reducing what the defense has to do, especially in the secondary you're also allowing defenders to really commit to stopping the run because if they, if they don't stop the run, it doesn't matter. Like the plays already happened. And so what you see is, is a really, really inefficient run game, which is what the Bucks had last year and a pass game that relies on incredible playmaking, which fortunately Brady was still really good last year in some ways. And so he, he did make a lot of those plays. They also have a lot of talent, but that overall impact completely changes when you run a more fulsome offense that actually tests the defense. And we've seen this in the past, you know, the Bucks finished 20th in offensive EPA per play last year. Um, I think that's right. I didn't write it down, but it, it was bad because of, because of this dynamic. And we saw this with the, the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger's last year, everything was quick time to throw and Roethlisberger was fine, but the whole offense was just a shell. It just made things easy for the defense. And so the next year when they rolled out Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, they actually had a better offense and they went over their win total just because of the way that those guys ran the full offense. We saw it with the Falcons last year and Matt Ryan's last year with the Falcons. Everything was quick throws. Matt Ryan didn't want to take hits, couldn't move, didn't keep the defense honest. It's the opposite of what happens when we talk about gravity with quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson. It changes the entire way the defense plays, knowing what Lamar Jackson can do out of the pocket. When you got a guy like Tom Brady last year, it just makes it so much easier for the defense. There's anti-gravity. So I think just by virtue of running a more complete offense, Dave Canales is coming in. We don't really know who he is. He's never coordinated an offense before, but it's got to be better than it was last year. Um, And so I I think Baker Mayfield actually is in a better position, especially with Ryan Jensen potentially coming back healthy, Tristan Wirfs coming back healthy. I think that offsets some of the questions on the offensive line, not all of them, but some of them at at two key positions. And I think this offense is actually going to look a lot more fluid, a lot more flexible, and just with those, you know, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans on the outside, like they have the pieces to actually run an offense. I think they're going to do that. Their defense is pretty good. I mean, it's, 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 you know, not, they didn't game break last year. They need to get Shaq Barrett back healthy, but they run, you know, Todd Bowles for all his, you know, flaws is a really good defensive coach. So I expect this team to be a little bit more competitive than the market is making them out to be. Um, and I'm more optimistic. Todd Bowles can be a, Dennis Allen uh, and Dan Quinn all-star because I think he's just one of those guys that, you know, probably a great defensive mind, but not a guy that I want managing the rest of the roster. Here's the thing. On paper, right now, preseason, they haven't started. Like, roster on both sides looks okay. They are paper thin. Um, I have questions of the offensive line now, but they have been in the bottom 10 of adjusted games lost due to injury the last couple of years. If they have any sort of cluster injuries – along the offensive line, we already have questions. That falls apart really quickly. And when you're starting some young guys along the offensive line, I already kind of have my concerns with a quarterback who's prone to hold the football. Um, I don't think that, like, 
maybe it's a wash like Rashad White and Leonard Fournette was you know very inefficient last year, but you know, I don't think that Rashad White's necessarily a, a difference maker um at this point. Like the defense is the same. Like the secondary on paper, these are some familiar names to even people that aren't really grinding defense. Like, oh, I know Jamal Dean and Carlton Davis. We had they also never really play close to a full season. Um, they have not at any point in their career. Dean played last year in a career high 15 games. Uh, Davis has never taught 14 games in his career behind them. It's really, really bad. Um, secondary or the safety group is okay, but the rest of the corners are rough and they're going to have to rely on that. Don't really know what's going to happen in nickel regardless. And then who's replacing Dean and Davis when they inevitably be missed games. The pass rush is a problem. Um, if you think Kalijah Kansi walks in as a spark freak from day one and like absolutely you know, just is a disruptor up the middle, then maybe they're interesting, but I don't think so. And there's really nothing coming off of the edge here. So uh, both linebackers are okay. They're pretty solid in coverage. They're familiar names. They're always like pretty far below expectation in terms of efficiency and tackles. Like they're, they're both kind of going on the wrong side of it too. So I just think there are, if there are injury issues to either side of this, this team on the ball, it is going to be really rough. And now when you have a tough schedule as well, you're kind of in a transition post Brady and you don't have any sort of future answer at quarterback. Like if Kyle Trask can't be out Baker Mayfield's, so you don't have a 2024 quarterback on the roster. Like, I don't know, man. Like there's a couple of nice quarterbacks sitting in this next draft. Uh, pretty interesting to bottom out towards the tail end of the year. If you're kicking around, you know, four wins come December. Um, why be really competitive down the stretch? Even if you wanted to, even if you happen to be running hot, and not falling victim to all these injuries. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty down on the Bucks. Took a uh, under early on them. It's moved a little bit, but I still think that they're the, comfortably the worst team in this division. Connor, uh, Clark, I would love to bet you on like their offense. Like I don't know what what what. Okay, so what are your expectations? I mean, I guess we just need to be aligned on that because obviously everything's relative to expectations. Like, what well, what do you think? Like top ten, top twenty, top twenty five? Um, I think top twenty, top twenty two. All right, I'll I'll take you on the over twenty. I, uh, I don't uh, bet like that. Oh, we'll, come uh, on, we'll come up with something there. A little friendly and, wager, EPA, total points, yards, whatever you want. I we'll, mean. we'll come up. We'll come up with something. But I I think that the the thing about the offense is it is thin, um, and there are some some injury question marks. Um, and so season long bets on the Bucks, I'm like a little bit more skeptical on. Um, but I think it's one of those things where I'll be looking to back them early. Uh, plus seven. Uh, against Minnesota week one, I think is a good bet. Um, also, I, I think this team is too proud to give up. Like, I, I don't really buy the, the tanking angle for, like, I, I saw this quote recently. I think it was Carlton Davis. I'm not sure. One of the defensive players that was like, you know, people are talking about like how we're not going to be good. Like, we're going to be better. Like, their their mindset is not, oh, I guess Tom Brady's gone. I guess we're kind of done now. Like, that's just not how these guys operate. And their defense is a blitz-heavy scheme, has been for years. And we know that blitzes perform better against inexperienced rookie quarterbacks. And they've got Bryce Young on the schedule, Desmond Ritter on the schedule. They go to the AFC South. So they've got, you know, Colts Richardson. They've got uh, CJ Stroud for the Texans. They've got, um, I don't know, like that's a lot of, that's a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks that a blitz can really eat up. So I think schedule wise, like, yes, they have some tough games. They also have some favorable matchups, especially given their schematic approach on defense. Um, so I, I would be hesitant to back to fade them season long personally. They have seven games this year where they are either a one point favorite or one point dog right now. Yeah, a lot. But that's that's based on current market expectations. I think they're better than that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
We'll see. I mean, I yeah, we'll, we'll have to work out an offensive bet because I think that's where our, our big disagreement is there. Because I'm I'm like picturing, I think we're going to see bottom five output. That's like that's my my standpoint here, and I think you're a lot closer to like fifteen ish probably is what I would guess. Uh, I I I can look up the number, but yeah, you guys keep talking. I'll I'll, I'll give it to you in like. <laughs> yeah, so under six and a half is the um, at minus one forty on Caesars is the best current number. I just don't think this is a seven-win team. You have a hard time advising laying 140. Uh, I got in on it a couple of months ago now, it feels like. Uh, you just, again, the injuries are going to happen somewhere. Maybe they're even really lucky and they run hot. They're still going to run into some some issues in terms of impactful players because they're just running a really thin operation in terms of what's happened. They've, they had to do – and they did a really good job. I'll give them credit. They were in cap hell coming into the season, and that's – been impactful to this current roster is they did a lot of money moving to get out from cap hell for next year because basically their current roster hit there's a lot of dead money so they're basically running off of uh you know 70 percent of, of 2023 cap with the roster and that's been impactful in terms of the depth on this team so if they're able to skate out of the injuries especially any clusters offensively or defensively maybe they'll be better than what i think i still don't think they're a seven football team so um, I don't know what you got for the number, Clark. Yeah, I have their offense ranked 26th right now, pretty close to 25 and 24. Oh, well, then, I mean, all right. Well, we're not that far off then. Uh, I do want to talk about the worst record market, though, before we kind of hop off here, because some like interesting, I don't know if it's news slash talk, coach speak about Kyler Murray, you know, saying that he's going to be ready for week one. I don't necessarily think that's going to be true, but uh, being bullish right now on like a week one, you know, I guess arrival would be, putting him maybe even earlier than we thought. I think when we earlier spoke, we were looking at like week six to eight. Now, if we want to play the game of like, if Kyler Murray starts say week three, Bucks or the Cardinals right now are like plus 200, like pretty heavy favorite in terms of like a large market uh, of to be the worst record. Like if Kyler plays the whole season, they're probably not going to be the worst team in the league. Uh, and so that kind of, I think, opens up the market here specifically for a lot of other like longer shot teams with like serious downside. So you know, the Bucks were a team at like 10 to one that I thought was interesting. But like, if you, you can go way further down the board, Titans at 20 to one, if they don't sign Hopkins, if things don't break their way, Patriots 19 to one. And then there's some ones further. I mean, could the Panthers be in play 25 to one? Uh, I mean, like the Broncos, if the wheels fall off 40 to one, like there are some serious ones here where like the top of the board just doesn't, I don't really feel that good about any of the teams where I'm like, Oh, like this is like clearly the worst team outside of the Cardinals. Like I think we kind of like the Texans a little bit, you know, like a little bit more than the market. So like to me, there's no team. Whereas last year I was like, oh, the Bears are going to win like three, four games. You know, I was like, I feel really strongly about that soft market. Now I don't, I don't really feel that good about a lot of these teams. So it could create some interesting long shots, but I wanted to talk about it here. If you guys had any other like thoughts about teams with like catastrophic downside this year. I mean, I think the Rams at 10 to one are interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do Stafford, right? Like, uh, you know, if, if he's cooked, like I know some people have talked about, uh that's that's obviously really interesting yeah and the rest of the roster is a i think a, somewhat of a nightmare um again like they still have some core tenants there you know is aaron donald's uh, cooper cup matthew stafford does sean McVay lead a, a league worst unit but again that i think is a little bit correlated to your thoughts on maybe not being as as bearish on a cardinals team if kyler comes back right those two teams in the division are fighting for the seller there with, uh, you know, Seattle and San Francisco being comfortably ahead of them. So I'm kind of with you. Like we haven't touched on the Texans yet, but I, I uh, don't think that like the Texans are making a run for the division, but I don't think that they're 
a just an absolute abysmal football team. I think if CJ Stroud ends up being pretty interesting, the rest of the pieces there are, are better than we thought. So yeah, no, no, going going for, further down the board, I'm not sure. Anything jump out to you, Clark? What what are the Giants listed at? <laughs> 30 to 1. 30 that's, on that was, that's it. That's it. Yeah, because like, I mean, the talent wise, like, I mean, they're a bottom, you know, tier team, at least I, in my opinion. So and their schedule is so like if if they don't, if they're not good, like their schedule is gonna eat them alive. I mean, Dan, look at think about this. Daniel Jones gets hurt, like I mean, I don't even know if he matters that much, but like they're already operating with so little, like he's yeah, at least Saquon, able to execute what they need, you know? Yeah, Saquon's holding out, whatever. Uh, but no, I want to talk about the other market, which is best record or most wins, because I, I kind of left this off the table earlier when we talking about the Falcons, but 45 to one Falcons to have the best record in the NFL. Like my, my approach to the Falcons this offseason has been the same as it was with the Eagles last year. Uh, the win total has been pretty similar. I, you know, you can find my tweets about how when they traded for AJ Brown, I tweeted the win total hasn't moved up enough. The division odds haven't moved up enough. Like people, it took a long time for people to really understand who the Eagles were and what their potential was for that year. And the same thing is happening with the Falcons, although a little bit earlier um, against that schedule. If, if Desmond Ritter is who I think he can be, then 14 wins is within range of outcomes, 13 wins within the range of outcomes. So 45 to one on that. The only bummer is if they tie, you know, you have dead heat rules. And so then you're winning like 22.5 to one or plus 2250, whatever. Um, but I still love it. 45 to one MGM circa both have it. Uh, that's, that's my long shot bet of the year. I like it. Like you said, the range of outcomes mentioned, I think 14 games that are within like two and a half points either way. Like they just get a little bit of good variance. Uh, some other things happen and breaks their way and, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't hate that for a long shot sprinkle for sure. But yeah, I've looked at the best record is until just now. So yeah, seeing the Chiefs at the top, uh, Bengals, Eagles, Bills, Niners, all ten to one or shorter, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So going down the board is uh, a little bit trickier. They are probably your Chargers there at thirty are interesting. Again, like that means they're winning the division and knocking off Mahomes, and that's that's interesting. But thirty for a team that we think is probably a legit playoff team, I think that's not a bad look either. But, yeah, I mean, Mahomes, Mahomes gets injured. I mean, yeah. 30 to one is, I mean, you're ripe, uh, I think in that spot, but yeah, I don't think the, the Falcons being 45 to one. And then like the Vikings Seahawks and Steelers all right ahead of them are like ahead of them. I don't know if that's priced correctly. I think that there's a little more upside there with the Falcons and the other teams there. Yeah. It's not an efficient market. It's just that there's, there's value there for sure. All right, gentlemen, good stuff as always. Again, don't forget to head over to the site, uh, 444.com on the betting tab. You can find Clark's preview for the NFC South here. Uh, mine up there as well. Best bets in uh, breaking down this division. Again, subscribe, rate, review, sub to the channel, all that for the free stuff. Uh, we appreciate it. Show notes for how to get access to the betting stuff for just 10 bucks via MGM. So check it out. For Connor and Clark, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.